fun, friendly, and all Chelsea. Chelsea on Chad. 6.30 Chad, Edmonton's News. Today's talk. This is Chelsea on Chad. Glad to have you here, Chad Nation. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to get into a conversation uh, about an article written by a former economist who says... As an economist, I think forecasts are a waste of time. We're going to get into why uh, with Todd Hirsch, former chief economist of ATB Financial and author of The Boiling Frog Dilemma, Saving Canada from Economic Decline. Todd, thanks so much for making the time. Good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, Chelsea. I think this is so funny. In your article, you say, I've spent most of the past three decades working on teams within various think tanks, (laughs) companies, and banks trying to forecast the economy, and I've concluded that it's a waste of time. Are you just having, like, a come-to-Jesus moment with your career right now? (laughs) How are you approaching this? Well, a little bit. I mean, I guess uh, some reflection looking back over uh, a lot of the work that I've been doing over the last 30 years, a lot of it focused on trying to make some pinpoint forecast about what the GDP is going to do. Mm. And, you know, even even more recently than just writing this article, I've come to sort of the conclusion that it's actually not the most helpful thing that economists can do. This idea, this hubris that we can predict to a tenth of a percentage point, you know, what the economy is going to do. And then we just revise it anyway when new information comes up. I used to joke, the secret to good forecasting is revise frequently <laughs> because <laughs> that way you're never really wrong. And, sure. you know, it is, it's kind of a funny joke, but it sort of lays bare the, the reality that our forecasting, it's not because the forecasters aren't doing a good job. It's just we're getting worse at it because there are so many more of these what we would call black swan events these kind of events that are unpredictable by nature mm. things like covid happening uh things like um you know russia invading ukraine sure, now, yeah. certain yeah certainly some people in hindsight would stick up their hand and said i saw that coming the whole time and that might be true but by and large, these were events that economists could not see coming, but changed everything when they happened. Which is interesting to me because I, I would have thought that there are you know, pretty strict mathematical formulas to creating these projections or creating forecasts, and it's not, it's not that cut and dry. Was it ever able no. to be more specific? I mean, you talk about more unpredictable events happening. Is that the case, or are we just hearing of more, uh, more unpredictable events? Well, I think there's more unpredictable events and on top of it, compared to say the 60s or 70s when a lot of this econometric work, these models were developed, Today, when something happens around the, across the world, it affects the global economy in a much larger and a much more immediate way than it might have done 50 years ago or even 20 years ago. So we're getting worse at it, no fault of our own. It's just the world we live in it has become more unpredictable. But I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't plan and prepare. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying rather than trying to predict what is going to happen next, economists, I think our role is better served helping clients or helping you know people who listen to economists, helping them prepare for any number of, of various outcomes that could happen because we don't know what is going to happen. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you mentioned too that you know with, with some of these lofty... Um 
forecasts, we can kind of lull ourselves into a false sense of confidence and yeah. get really spendy, which so it's gonna, it could be dangerous. It is dangerous, and that was you know one of the things I wrote about in my in my article in the Globe and Mail that that not only is it kind of a waste of time, but it could be dangerous if we sort of lull people into believing. Well, you know, the economist said the uh, the economy is going to grow four percent this year, and then something happens and it doesn't grow four percent, and then people could say, well, you told us this you know was going to happen, so. I, I think it's better that we focus on preparing for different outcomes mm. and different possibilities rather than trying to pin so much confidence on a, a, a forecast, you know, a, a tenth of a percentage point forecast that is almost certainly going to be wrong the minute we lock it in. You mentioned that you think that forecasts aren't necessarily the, the most helpful thing that an economist can do. No. So is that the most important thing, is creating multiple uh, multiple plans and options and ideas of what could potentially happen? Yeah, I think so. And a lot of economists, I, I mean, I've, I've had some <laughs> kind of unpleasant comments thrown my way on social media because of this um, by other economists. And I get it because, you know, economists have spent a lot of time trying to perfect their, their uh, skills at modeling what's going to happen next. But I think we're better off using our, our energy and our time as economists trying to help, you know, people understand what happens if, for example, um, six months from now, maybe a month from now, we don't know, uh, we see uh, geopolitical tensions building between China and the United States. What happens then? All the forecasts are going to be rewritten if we have to start sanctioning China and imports right. from China right. and sales of, of goods to China. You know, everything changes. So I think economists are better. Our time is better spent helping people understanding what could happen in any number of different possibilities rather than trying to, you know, th this idea that we can predict what's going to happen in the economy. I think it's a refreshing take, you know, rather than staunchly defending you know, what I, we've seen not necessarily be accurate. It's nice to hear that, yeah, there might be some inefficiencies when it comes to when it comes to creating <laughs> a forecast. So I, I appreciate this opinion. I'm sure that it's been met with a little bit of criticism when it comes to fellow economists <laughs> or, or former economists. Well, it absolutely has. And, and I think, you know, only an economist, I think, could make this criticism because, <laughs> like I said, I've, I've spent the most of my career exactly trying to do this. Mm. I just don't think it's the most helpful thing that people need. So let me ask you if you think that there might be a role for AI when it comes to creating some t kind of a plan or some type of a forecast. Do you think that that might be a better method? Well, certainly AI might be able to do it more quickly and maybe less um, less or, or more objectively than human beings because human beings, our subjectivity gets built into it. So as a human being, when I'm asked, okay, what is my assumption on oil prices or what's my assumption on the Canadian dollar? As a human, I might have some built-in bias uh, that's, that's sort of, you know, baked into it. AI might be able to eliminate some of that bias, and they might also be able to, you know, uh, say, okay, you're going to rerun the model every time an assumption changes. This is really labor-intensive for human economists to do.
Uh, and I've worked in, in different shops where every time something changes, you know, the senior management says, can you rerun the model? As if it's just as simple as hitting a button. It's not. It's a complicated kind of uh, process. But AI might be able to do it more quickly, maybe more efficiently, and maybe more sub or objectively than, than human beings could. Sure. Uh, Todd, it's been a very busy week for you. Obviously, you've uh, you've written this column for the Globe and Mail, a uh, refreshing, honest take from a former chief economist. I I'm also seeing some tweets of yours that are going, pr they're going around. I don't know. I'm not going to say they're going viral yet. <laughs> they're I think, going around. I think you know what I'm referring to. Um, I am. It's, it's yeah. mentioning a quote that Premier Daniel Smith said, talking about creating bastions of freedom here in Alberta. And she mentioned some characters that have done what she credits to be similar things in the states, Ron DeSantis in Florida and Christy Noem in South Dakota. You've been pretty outspoken mm -hmm. about those two characters and drawing that comparison to Alberta, mm -hmm. to those other places. Are you mm -hmm. willing to touch on that? We can talk about that, sure. I, I'm just curious what, what made you want to, to speak out about that and, uh, and why you don't feel like it's fair to maybe draw on those characters, those players in the states as examples here in Alberta. Well, you know, uh, Premier Smith, uh, she's quoted as saying, you know, she looks to the Americans like Ron DeSantis, like Krista, uh, uh, well, forget her last name at the moment, the, the uh, governor of South Dakota. And that is fair enough. And a lot of Albertans might say, well, yeah, those are great role models for Alberta to be looking to. But I think a lot of people might say, I don't know if they're the very best role models. And as long as we're upfront about having this conversation as we go into an election, uh, as long as people know, here's what you're voting for if you do vote for that. Fair enough if that is a viewpoint that you support. Mm -hmm. And particularly Ron DeSantis in Florida and a lot of the uh, uh, actions his government and has taken against LGBTQ and different things around banning books and libraries. Fair enough if Albertans say he's on the right track. 100% fair enough. That is a legitimate perspective. But I think a lot of people would say, I'm not comfortable with that. And now we have a premier saying she's looking to him kind of as a role model. Maybe the premier might need to uh, explain a little bit more what she said in the context of it. I'd, I'd be willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. But she is on record saying that she is looking to those governors of Florida and South Dakota um, as kind of role models of, of uh, bastions of freedom, she called them, in the U.S. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it would be interesting to get a little bit of clarity on exactly what pillars of freedom uh, are seen as examples from her perspective. I think we need to be armed with all the information yeah. as we head into an election, which, of course, is coming Absolutely. up very soon yeah. in this province. So, uh, Todd, really appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts on that. If you want to follow Todd on Twitter, you can check him out at the Todd. Todd Hirsch speaking out about that and many other things. Uh, thank you so much for your time and talking about now as we go back to your article in the Globe and Mail <laughs> uh, forecast by economists. Uh, refreshing take from you. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Chelsea. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you too. Take care. Okay. Have a good day. You too. Todd Hirsch is former chief economist of ATB Financial and author of The Boiling Frog Dilemma, Saving Canada from Economic Decline.